I would love to eat an ancestral diet, but I can't afford it. What can I do? I want to shop from small farms around me. How can I make this happen with a limited budget? Food costs are rising dramatically where I live, and the budget that once worked for us isn't cutting it anymore. Help! In a post-industrial world where globally imported, subsidized factory food is perceived as the cheaper or only option for a budget, these are questions most of us have had at some point. In this episode, Allison and I want to make the case that not only are there ways to eat an ancestral diet and save money, but you can actually save money by eating an ancestral diet. This is the food of the people, the peasants, the commoners, the simple subsistence meals that most of our ancestors lived on. We aren't going to suggest things in this episode like eat out less or clip coupons. We know you already eat out far less than the average person, and you want to escape the grocery store system as much as possible. So we want to bring you the very practical ways we negotiated with our wallets and our conscience, while still remaining inside the confines of a sometimes very limited budget. Allison is living in town in Italy, and I'm living in the United States on a small farm in one of the most expensive states of the Union, Washington State. Check the show notes to download part one of our list of 50 ways to save money in an ancestral kitchen so you can keep all of these ideas saved in one handy place. In our next episode, we will cover part two of the 50 ways, as well as give you the second PDF download to save in your kitchen notebook. Here's to saving money, living better, and eating wisely. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Alison. How are you? I'm good, thank you today. How are you? I am. I am here. I am good. <laughs> I am I am good. Nothing's bad. I'm just like, you made it. I made it. I'm glad <laughs> you like did, because this is a big point. episode. <laughs> this is a big one. We definitely this is one need... we've been needing for a long time. Yeah, we definitely need to both be here, because we are dedicating this episode to saving money, which is something we get asked about so much literally you know patrons and non-patrons listeners people who follow us asked us to do this episode um and we've got yeah. as much input from both of our lives um all of the people that we talk to and we've specifically gone to the patrons and asked them um so there's a lot yeah. of information we've put it onto a download um which you can go and print out and keep with you do head over to the show notes and we will put the details of how you can get that download there. So don't feel like you have to have a pen okay. and paper ready when you're listening to us because we've, <laughs> we've got you covered. We've got it all um, nicely presented for you. Okay, so Perfect. before we dive into that big topic, have you eaten today yet, Andrea? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I had um, 
Oh, this is such a lame thing. I made corn muffins the other day Yum. and I didn't put any leavener in them just because mm. I, yeah, mm -hmm. I mixed the wet and then I, all my dry containers are out. So I went out to the garage, got buckets, filled all my dry containers and then put in the dry and in the middle there forgot to put in any leaven whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> so they were kind of corn lumps. <laughs> so they're corn muffins, but like not fluffy or anything. And, um, yeah, I had butter and honey on them. So it was delicious and some raw cream and coffee. And if anybody ever wonders <laughs> about saving money, it is eat the food that is not your favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If it goes <laughs> wrong, my eat it. We should add that eat one to the list, shouldn't we? <laughs> eat your disasters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and what did you eat, Alice? Yeah, so we had lunch today. Um, it's a holiday here in Italy, so Gabriel's with us. And um, we had some pork left over from um, slow cooking it earlier in the month and then freezing it afterwards, but not much. So I um, I augmented it, that's the word I was looking for, with some um, bacon, which I chopped and fried and then put in onions and mushrooms and some leftover broccoli from yesterday and cooked all that up um then we had a, a few bit slices of the pork that was left from um this week with bread uh sourdough bread that's made with spent grains from the beer that we also drunk at the meal um yeah. spread with lard and salt on the top and sauerkraut is that the beer you had posted in your stories the other day yes with the oh that looks so good yeah. i Send you a message on Instagram, but I really liked that bottle with the owls on it. That was super oh, cute. We've got some cute bottles. We've got smiley faces. We've got lavender. Yeah. We've got owls. I had to look at it closer because I thought maybe Gabriel had put stickers <laughs> or painted on it or something. He does do that. <laughs> it was so cute. It has been I known. Love it. Um, yeah. So it was a it was a nice lunch. <laughs> nice lunch. Good. Okay. Have you got? Sounds lovely. You've got some reviews for us. Some people who I've are got, saying nice yeah, things I've about got two us. Reviews. Do you want to um, oh, share them with the world? Gosh, yeah. Would we ever read it if someone said something bad? Um, probably not. <laughs> just be like, ignore that I'd one. ignore that one. You know, because people do. You know, I've seen cookbook writers talk about how, you know, they've got that dreaded one-star review on Amazon and how mm -hmm. just unfair and how it's awful for your morale and just oh, yeah. but you have to get a thick skin and just ignore it and, yeah, you know, reignite your faith in what you're doing so i think i just cindy I just ignore a bad one <laughs> cindy rollins is an author and she's talked about that too she said um she as an author she is now very conscious when she writes mm. reviews of living yeah. authors yeah. and she says you know a real person reads it and she said often the author does read those reviews even if you don't get a response from them yeah. um on goodreads and things like that so she goes even if i don't like it i try to figure out how to fairly say that wow so but if you want us to read your review make it five stars <laughs> <laughs> okay emily ancestrally rooted said simple and down to earth this podcast has quickly become one of my favorites the hosts make ancestral foods simple and down to earth they don't make me feel like i need a farm a fancy kitchen or a new linen apron to eat ancestrally this podcast helps take the pressure off and simplify. I love the different perspectives too. 
a city versus farm, European versus American, bigger family versus smaller. Mm. Thank you, Emily. That's lovely. Um, oh, between the two of them, you will probably see your own life somewhere in the discussion. I love that. Wonderful. Yeah. No, that's a good point, though, Alison. Mm. We, you know, she's she's right that we've got these different mm. sort of angles on the same goal. Yeah, exactly. Is, and that's why I love doing yeah. what I do with you, because you bring so yeah. much more that I could never bring. You know? And so do you. Yeah. And Rob pointed that out when he and I were talking the yeah. other day. He was like, you guys have different, yeah. just different aspects. Yeah. All right. M. Hopefully. Hopefully. Not sure if I said it right. Mm -hmm. Five stars. Timeless. This show is fantastic. And I'm usually listening in the car with my one-year-old son who now recognizes your voices. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> or cleaning my kitchen after a long day of cooking. Mm, yep. I know that one. I like to think that if our female ancestors had radios, this is what they would be listening to while scrubbing their cast iron mm. and rendering their tallow. And it makes me smile to think about whilst bringing me closer to them. Always look forward to an episode. Thank you. That's Aww, lovely. I love it. The idea that people will look yeah. forward to what episode we might put out next is fills yeah. my heart with warmth. It's very honoring and daunting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this better be good, Alison. Yeah, exactly. You better show up. Exactly. Gosh. Okay. But this is a good one. Um this is a good one. Let's let's say hello to the new patrons. Have you got the list there? Yeah. Because we've got we quite a, a few since the yeah. last time we were together. Yeah. So new patrons um, since we last recorded. So actually the patrons, when they hear their name pop up here, um, we're recording this a little bit ahead mm -hmm. of schedule since we've got some summer things. So they've been patrons for yeah. a while by the time you hear this. But Deidre Brown, Louisa from New Zealand, and she's been awesome on the Discord, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, Rebecca Lerner who is an annual member. She's a millet lover and she's taking your Boza yep. course, Allison. Yep. Um, Amanda Brandt mm -hmm. and Christian, Christian mm -hmm. Zare, um, who is an annual member as well. So that's a nice little option where if you want to be a patron and support the podcast, you can actually, patron gives you a bit of a discount when you do an annual membership. Um, Allison, something that, we put on the patron, but I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast is that we have the mentorship level. Have we ever told anybody about no, that yet? I don't, I don't think, think so. It's, but it's yeah. only been there like, you know, a year and a half. We should talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we should. We're so good at this marketing thing. Uh, <laughs> but the mentorship level is one that you dreamed up, Allison, because people were asking for this, which is somebody can be a member of the podcast and the mentorship level then they get um for every month that they're at that level they would get a hour-long one-on-one zoom meeting with whichever one of us was going to be the one that answers their questions mm -hmm. so like you heard in emily's review um you know we have some different perspectives on things european versus american or um you know big families versus a smaller family or whatever mm -hmm. Um, so you might already know which one of us might have the answers that you're looking for. So yeah, you could do that or you could 
you know, stay on the level for a couple of months and flip flop between us. Yeah, that's the thing. You're not kind of locked in with Patreon. And that's why yeah. we liked it so much. Yeah. Because, you know, if you thought, okay, well, you know, a couple of hours talking to Alison or Andrew might really help me get over the hump of this problem. Maybe I, I think about my examples, you know, I, I want to get my starter sorted or, you know, something bred. Mm. Um, but yeah. then you're not yeah. tied in. So if you then say, okay, well, I want to yeah. carry on supporting the podcast but I don't need that one-on-one support anymore, then you can hop down to one of the levels that um, still have tons of benefits, you know, have a forum, which we're on regularly and lots of Mm -hmm. extra documents and a, and a exclusive podcast, but um, they're not as intense as the, as the higher level. So yeah, we talked about the mentorship level. (laughs) Woohoo. Yeah, I know. It's really cool. I want to see who does that, who I get to spend time. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe everybody just wants to talk to you, Alison. <laughs> I don't know. You've got a lot of answers to a lot of things. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not so good with um, cows and things like that. You know, farmsteads and running. Talk a to big... me about bozo. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. If you've been around ancestral food for 10 minutes, you know liver is a superfood. You're looking at a food packed with vitamins A, K, a broad spectrum of B vitamins, CoQ10, bioavailable iron, plus many essential minerals and more. Liver is your first stop when seeking to gain energy and restore your health. Not only is it a delicacy and staple of traditional diets, it's the first thing most animal predators go for when hunting. Are you looking for a good way to work liver into your daily life, but getting it on the table just isn't happening yet or as much as you'd like? This is where liver capsules come in. Allison and I are both supplementing our ancestral diets with liver capsules from One Earth Health. We get all the incredible benefits of liver, even when we're on the road or preparing non-liver meals for our family, and the sourcing and preparation has all been handled for us. One Earth Health produces nutritious organ capsules from 100% grass-fed New Zealand-raised cattle. Support the pod by purchasing through our link, and you'll also get 5% off and free shipping as a bonus. Go to oneearthhealth.com slash ancestralkitchen or check the show notes. So let's get on and dive into our subject today because I feel like okay. we have a lot of ground to cover. So this episode is called... 50 ways to save money in an ancestral kitchen. And as we said earlier, lots of people ask us, you know, I'm I'm living a frugal life. I'm spending a lot of my money on food. I just, have you got any tips mm. that can help me save a bit more? Or I really want to do an ancestral diet, but I can't afford it. Because frankly, if you look around in a lot of social media spheres, ancestral diets do look expensive because there's jars of supplements everywhere there's steaks you know Mm. there's all these things that that (laughs) frankly are expensive but if you've listened to the podcast any of the episodes really you'll know that's not really our jive (laughs) and so we've come up with with 50 ways that can can help you save money and I think before we dive into the list which as I said there's a pdf which you can download for look in the show notes we wanted to set expectations around the amount of money that one spends on food. And I looked at it from the UK perspective. And on the UK government website, I found some stats that said um, in the 1940s, and I kind of went back to the 1940s because I thought, you know, that was before the big kind of push of, you know, 1950s and 
um, packet things from supermarkets. And in the 1940s, rural households relied on gardens and allotments to provide more than 92% of their fruit and vegetables in winter and 98% in summer. And then there's another statistic which says a third of household income was spent on food in 1940 compared to 12% nowadays. And I just kind of ran the figures for that. And currencies aside, if your household income is 25,000, you know, whether that's dollars or pounds or euros, in the 1940, in 1940, that would have meant at a third of your income, you would have spent 8,300 a year on food, which is 694 a month. And if you compare those figures to the 12% now, that's 3,000 a year, 250 a month. So an absolutely humongous difference between 250 a month or 694 a month. And I feel like wait, it's... Wait a minute. Yeah. Can you... Hmm. People in 1940 were spending 694... Well, I just gave an example because, you know, say okay. your household income... Because you can say, oh, a third of money was spent on food then and 12% was spent now. And you're like, well, what does okay. that mean? But if we look at yeah, an income yeah. of 25,000, the equivalent nowadays would be the difference between what we spend now, which would be 250, if your income was 25,000, to what they spent in 1940, gotcha. 694. Gotcha. So, okay. you know, say that's do okay. if that was $25,000, they were spending $694 a month in the 40s and $250 wow. a month now. And, you know, it's not much time since the 1940s. But that is almost three times as much spent per month on food in 1940 to now. And so when we, when we ask yeah. the question, well, how can I save money? How can I be frugal? How can I not spend so much on food? I think we have to look at a larger, have a larger vision and say, what's not enough? You know, what is too much? And to understand that we're living in a time where people expect to pay a lot less than humanity has mm. for virtually all of the history. Yeah. Charlotte Smith made a great point when she actually talked about pricing your products. She said today, for some reason, there is a culture around not only believing in, but then bragging about when something was really cheap. She said, People will drive really expensive cars, wear really expensive clothes, show off, you know, I'm wearing a designer, whatever. And then they'll still say, look how cheap I got this case of steaks for. And she's like, why do we have this idea that cheap food is um, ideal? And I'll link to that episode of hers in the show notes because it is really good. She talks about um, kind of where that came from, but definitely understanding that our belief in the cheapness of food and how sh food should be cheap was born out of um you know the great depression and government subsidies and a lot of things like that um not entirely yeah so anyways understanding that mm. makes it easier to grasp why um people before and some of us today still believe in spending more a per higher percentage of our income than possibly other people do mm -hmm. um, towards our food. Mm -hmm. um, why, why don't I share some statistics yeah, that Joel do. Salatin shared from the U.S. Yeah. side that kind of feeds into that. Um, 
for one, which you touched on in Sir Patrick Holden's episode, he said that 40 to 50% of human edible food on the planet is thrown away. So remember, those subsidies are bringing down the cost of food that is being produced. And we're talking like wheat, soy, corn, not not your you know grass-fed beef. And then a lot of that food is just being discarded for various reasons because there's too much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a problem. Um, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. he said this in 2013. Mm-hmm. So 40 years ago, Americans spent 18% of their income on food and 8% of their income on healthcare. Mm-hmm. 40 years later, Americans spend 18% of their income on healthcare and 8% Gosh. of their income on food. It's a perfectly inverse relationship. That's amazing. Um, so I looked up the median household yeah. income in the U.S. in 2021, which was 70784 which is going to be significantly higher and significantly yeah. lower than what some people are listening yeah. are earning. Um, and that's just the median income. And 18% of that would be $12,741 a year. And I did the math real quick. Mm. If you bought a beef cow and 50 chickens and you were getting three gallons of raw milk a week at $12 a gallon, you'd have enough. You'd have $536 a month left to spend on, you know, your, you know, your, your grains and um, organic sugar and other things that might go into your diet. Um, Which just based on what we buy, that would be, yeah, that would work. Like I, it's just interesting, the allocation. Yeah. Um, so it's astounding Joel, to see, to hear statistics like that. I, I know. He also said this, mm. which when you talked about perspective, I was thinking about this. So um, first I'll preamble by saying that our ancestors, for most of human history, the majority of your day was spent yeah. procuring enough calories to live. So now we create... An, Everybody's not using their energy to farm everything. And remember that up until the 1940s, over 99% of the world was a farmer in some aspect. And our ancestors used all their energy to produce food. Now we use our energy to produce money and we convert some of that into food by trading it with people who are converting, um, you know, chlorophyll into food, basically. So if you think about the fact that once upon a time, all your resources were going into food, mm. everything you made going into food, right? We're no longer at that point. Food is more, takes, when we say food is more affordable, what we mean is it takes a smaller percentage of your income to feed yourself. Yeah. Um, but it still, for longevity's sake, should take some significant portion, I feel. And Joel says, to support the statement, Joel says, um, I encourage people to take their recreation and entertainment budget of time and money and start to participate in the food system. Every single community is surrounded by integrity farmers. Many of them want to farm full time and they need 10 or 20 more customers to tip them over so they don't have to commute to their town job Mm. to support their farm addiction. Mm. And remember, Allison, that um, post that I sent to you on Instagram where she was saying um if you spend two hours a day on your phone Mm. which 
most people spend two or more hours a day on their phone. She totaled up how many hours that was in a month, et cetera. Um, she said, she said, you spend 60 hours a month on your phone. If that's two and a half full days, if you spend just two hours a day on your phone, so that's 60 hours a month, that's enough time. She says to make 60 meals <laughs> or read 13 books, learn a new skill takes 20 hours, they say. So I imagine we could probably all manage a very small garden. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or make our own bread. Two hours a day. So, yeah. So let's, yeah, let's go into our yeah. list. Okay. So I also want to just say before we dive into the list very quickly that the industrial food systems that have given us this cheap food are destroying our health, our planet and our sanity and our food shouldn't be this cheap. <laughs> I feel like I want a t-shirt with that on. Okay, so let's list the 50 ways and, and stay with us till the end. At the end, we'll both give a kind of a personal take on what we think is our biggest way to save money. Um, and I, I've kind of, we tried to divide the list into sections and the first section is about sourcing foods. You Shall I just dive in, Andrea? Yeah. I, I'm also going to say, yeah. Alison, that, that the list is really good and practical. Okay. Like it's not just, yeah, we just told you that we're going to tell you to spend more money on food. <laughs> <laughs> also, the list, um, yeah, money is also finite. So we have to find ways to make it last, right? Well, no, money's not really finite, I guess, but like what you have in your hand today is finite. And so yeah. um, we want to help you make it go as far and make yeah. feed as much of your family as you can. Completely. And we're not going to tell you, I don't think anywhere on the list, Allison doesn't say to stop eating out, right? Because no. that's, that's dumb. We assume you already did yeah, that. We, eat out, yeah. <laughs> <That's> that. <laughs> Would you like more support to help you eat, cook and live ancestrally? If so, come and check out our community at patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast. We've got so many goodies over there that will help guide, inspire and support you in this journey we're taking together. There's our exclusive podcast where Andrea and I talk more intimately about what's happening in our kitchens and lives. There are so many after show bonuses, downloads, extra audios and resources. We have a forum where you can ask and answer questions. And we even host a monthly chat where we get together and talk all the ancestral kitchen things. We love cooking and eating this way. And this community and library of resources is what we would have wanted when we started out. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast to get started. Okay. Okay. Right. So the first one, number one, buy in bulk, and so many different things can be bought in bulk. I buy grain in bulk. That's the biggest thing that I buy in bulk. But you know, I know you can buy virtually anything in bulk. So I live in a tiny house, and I the last time I bought spelt flour, I bought twenty five kilograms of it. Um, I'm trying to convert that into pounds, Andrew. It's like fifty pounds, I think, a bit more. Um, yeah, and same. I have nowhere to put it, literally. I mean, we live in a two-roomed apartment and we have a lot of things and I have a son and 
but we have sorghum behind the sofa we have spelt in in cupboards in the bedroom and I've talked to so many people who listen to the podcast and and I know that they're going yes and nodding now um because (laughs) you can find space no matter how small your space is and you can make humongous savings by buying in bulk like I've sat down and I've gone through you know shops and I've worked out well if I buy five kilos it's going to be this much if I buy 10 kilos it's going to be this much look how much I'm saving when I buy five times that amount so that's number one buy in bulk Number two, buy. Remember those yeah. cute aesthetic pictures of um, garlic and hams hanging from the ceiling wasn't because people were trying to be no. cute. It was because they didn't have fancy paint pantries behind glass exactly. doors. Exactly, yeah. Um, number two is buy locally. I really feel like the supermarket is a trap to make you spend more money. They've done their marketing. They know what they're doing. And yep. even, with, even without sure. that, the supermarket is often more expensive than a local farmer so look around you to see what you can buy locally rather than automatically defaulting to the supermarket because you will save money that way let's remember your money at the supermarket is mostly going into overhead and marketing Mm. whereas your money to the farmer goes 100 percent to the farm less than five percent of the money of of your food dollars goes to farmers when you buy the store so Number three, buy what's in season and work that into your meals rather than finding a recipe that you want to make and going out and trying to find what you need for that recipe. You know, when we wrote um, Meals at the Ancestral Hearth, our cookbook, which came out earlier in the year, we tried to make it clear in that that that's the way we cook. You know, we, in my um, cast iron ground meat recipe, you use whatever's in season, you know, whatever meat you've got, you're using whatever yeah. greens or vegetables you've got and you make it a different meal each time because you're doing what's in season. Yeah. And that means you're paying for something that is around rather than something that's been shipped from goodness knows where. So that will be cheaper. That's episode 56 if somebody's wanting Thank you, thank you. Number four, look at prices of equivalents and choose the cheapest so I was saying earlier on you know that I've gone and I've checked when I'm bulk buying the price of everything I've also done that for example with similar products so I give the example of grain because I buy grain and I work with grain that's a good one yeah and there is a huge variation in price of grain if you want an alternative inexpensive flour choose rye and I looked at prices of rye in um in Italy where I am and for the same amount of weight for five kilos rye is 14 euros and einkorn is 30 euros and I thought "Hmm, maybe that's just a UK thing so I went on to Azure and I looked Mm. at their flour and 10 pound of einkorn is 37 dollars whereas 10 pound of rye is a tiny bit over 11 dollars Yep. So that is nearly a quarter yeah. of the price for rye to yeah. einkorn. And rye is yep. a grain that's lower in gluten than wheat. It's a grain that's not been treated like wheat in the past, you know, 60, 70 years. It makes really good bread. And you can get, you know, four loaves for the price of one loaf of einkorn. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer to me if you want to um, keep your costs down. Yeah. Just calculate how many loaves you need to make in a year. This is how I do it. You have those 52 weeks in a year and you're like, oh, my family eats, you know, 
five loaves a week, mm. let's say. So then calculate how much weight you need for each one. Then you can calculate, okay, do I want to do straight rye? Do I want to mix yeah. it? Like, and then like, yeah, just figure out what the cheapest grains are. You can buy a year's worth of grain yeah. at a time because it will store so well. Um, listen to the episode with Ellie yeah. <laughs> about that. Completely. But, but it is a great way because you could basically, if you wanted to, you could make all your family's bread for, well, let's say a third of the cost, yeah. right? Um, so yeah. yeah, it's a good way to do and it. And do remember, if, you, if you got really excited about the prices that I said for rye there, I have a course on how to make sourdough rye, which you can get to by ancestralkitchen.com forward slash rye. And that link will give you 10% off the course. So you'll be saving money there. Yeah. Too. And you'll have that knowledge forever. forever. Yeah, completely. Okay, number five, get to know your farmer. So I wanted to give an example of when we lived in Cornwall in the UK here, that we got to know um, a farmer called Ian, who sold at the local farmer's market. And through befriending him, we ended up getting um, back fat completely free. So we were making lard and tallow from the back fat for nothing. We used yeah. to get frozen things from him that he'd um, had and he'd had too many of them. So we used to get literally bags of frozen liver for next to nothing. When he had too much of something, he would call us and ask us whether we wanted it. And we saved an astounding amount of money just because we nurtured that relationship with that farmer. And he knew that we would, you know, what we would take and that we want these things. And he, he wanted to get rid of them. So get to know your farmer. I love it. He's probably happy that you took it. Yeah. Oh, he was, I think. Number six, choose real food over supplements. And I kind of alluded earlier on, you know, when you see ancestral food in the culture and in the media, you often see lots of supplements associated with it. Oh, you're lacking in this, you're lacking in that. You better buy this supplement. You better buy that supplement. <clears throat> and it's always been my kind of... Um, motto to try wherever possible to choose real food over a supplement so I give an example of the buckwheat pancake recipe that is on my website under the resources tab that I actually specifically developed because I wanted to get more b vitamins and I looked up what um, supplements natural supplements what they were made of um, for b mm. vitamin b and they were made of sprouted buckwheat so I sprouted some buckwheat oh. I blended it up, I soured it, and I made pancakes with it. And I can't tell you how much cheaper that was than actually going out and buying naturally natural vitamin B supplements. So there's well, even if the mm. um, in, in that instance, Allison is a good example. But um, let's say you wanted to get your B vitamins and zinc, right? Mm. And so you ate heart. Yeah. So even if it, the cost was the same. One of them gave you calories and, yeah. you know, some, some of your macros yep. were covered, right? So you can't really make a meal out of a supplement mm. um, necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. But um, you, you covered the supplement and, need and your dinner. Yeah. I didn't even say. think about that bit. So, but yeah, I feel yeah. quite strongly so about that double. because, I mean, I know that a lot of supplement companies are very much in integrity and they are filling gaps where, Oh, but yeah. a lot of people, yeah. a lot of them who have a large disposable income and not the time necessarily to go and sprout buckwheat. But 
if we're families looking for ways to save money, that's that's definitely number six, choosing real food as a yeah. way. And if you do want to, to take supplements, this helps you to prioritize yeah, your supplement completely. fund towards really high quality yeah. good ones like the one or what was it? One, one Earth Health. Earth Health? Yeah. yeah Faisal's. Yeah. Um, his supplements, I think, I don't know if there's ads on this episode or not, but his supplements are really awesome. Mm. So if you're like, I... I mean, I need to take a liver supplement or something. Mm. So you didn't want to eat liver. You just couldn't. I need to take a liver supplement. Well, this would help you to be able to target that money towards a really good one. The one you you definitely can't or don't want to include. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, you can go to his site, which is oneearthhealth.com and see... Is array of supplements there, um, and we well, he he does free shipping for our listeners, yeah, right? That's right. I think we should and five percent off. Notes. Yeah. Okay, number seven: start a buying group with local like minds. Buying in bulk, in serious bulk, with lots of other people, is a tremendous way to save money. So that's about kind of reaching out and trying to actually even put it together yourself. You know, it sometimes these things don't appear, and we have to do the work. You know when. Absolutely. Two and a half years ago, when I really wanted to listen to an ancestral food podcast, at some point I had to get over <laughs> myself and go, I've got, I've got to just do this. I've got to make it myself, haven't I? You know, sometimes you have to make yep. a buying group. So don't feel like, you know, don't, just because there's yeah. one not in your area, there's probably someone else there who wants to yeah. do that. Where, where do you think, how do you think the ones that are there started? Yeah. Because somebody started them. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't just materialize out of thin air. Yeah. Somebody said... I need to get this for my family, but it's six hours away. How can I make it worth the time? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Number eight is kind of along the same theme, which is trade, don't buy with those you know. And frankly, those you don't know. That just means going out Mm -hmm. and finding people who have something that you want to get and would be happy to receive something that you can give them. Talk to people find out where they buy from, find out what they do to save money. There's so much knowledge in community. And I feel like, you know, Louisa, who is one of the patrons who we mentioned earlier, I I asked her about this. We had a conversation and she said, you know, the only thing I use Facebook for is the homesteading pages. And she goes on there and she asks for swaps. She says, I've got this. Has anyone got anything? They want to trade with it. And so she's actually, she's doing that proactive thing. She's going out and requesting them. Trading, not buying will save you so much. I wanted to add on to that, Alison. It didn't know if it, it doesn't quite make its own line item, Mm. but work trades Mm. can be phenomenal. From the farming perspective, I will say that can also be hard to pull off because it can take just as much time to train somebody. Um, And a lot of people don't want to do the unglamorous jobs um, that need to be done on a farm. But if you are a hard worker and, or if you have any skills that could be useful on a farm, like carpentry or ditch digging, I'm not even joking. Um, ditch digging is, is an actual skill and an art. Um, then connect with the, or the farms you're connected with already, you're probably already a customer of a farm, right? So, Mm offer them your skills and say, Hey, listen, I'm willing to do this, you know, or I'm willing to like, um, sort your laundry for a couple hours. If you can trade me some meat or whatever, um, shout out to Anna and Julia, who are listeners of the podcast. 
who reached out to me on Instagram and they live um, within a two hour distance of us, I think. And they said, hey, would you be interested in having some help on the farm? They weren't even asking for a work trade, Allison, mm-hmm. but they basically, they brought out their husbands <laughs> and put their husbands to work. <laughs> and just like, we had a project for them that we figured it would take them all day and they finished it in an hour. Wow. <laughs> I want to come and do so my we washing had to up. Keep finding more projects for them. <laughs> yeah. We had to keep finding more projects for them. But let me tell you guys, I was like, let me send you home with some farm yeah, food completely. because um it totally blew us away. And we told them, hey, if you guys want to come back, we'll give you basically whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so valuable. Um, so, so valuable. Yeah. I think that's Offer that's that another number nine yeah. is talk to people. And I mean that's what they did there. Just everywhere yeah. you go. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I'm I'm an introvert. And sometimes I find it hard, you know, out in the real world, not over the Zoom call with you, Andrea, to, um, <laughs> is anyone listening to us? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, sometimes I find it hard to talk to people, but it pays dividends. You know, if you can build a network yeah. for this trading, whether it's skills or actual food skills, sharing the knowledge, just talk to everyone everywhere you go. And, you know, if they're not yeah. interested, they're not interested. Yep. They're not, you're not going to look silly. Yeah. They're just going to move on to the next thing. But finding the gems that are out there who you can connect with and create yeah. networks with, it, it's worth it completely. Absolutely. When I first heard Allison talking about Boza, the fermented drink made of millet that's a household name in Turkey, I felt as if I was being transported back to a bazaar in the Ottoman Empire or traveling the Silk Road on the back of a camel, and I knew I wanted to taste it. Boza is fizzy, sweet, tart, and it's full of probiotics. You can drop it into your smoothies, spoon it on top of your breakfast, or drink it in the traditional way they still do in Istanbul, topped with cinnamon and toasted chickpeas. Fermented millet drinks were first made in that region of Europe in the 8th century BC. And as with all of Allison's courses, she's gone above and beyond in research and experimentation and testing on Rob and Gabe and given us an easy way to recreate the goodness in her own homes. If you'd like a fun and tasty way to get more probiotics into your life, bring her into your kitchen and have her walk you through how to bring this ancestral, dairy-free, gluten-free fermentation recipe with her amazing Boza video course. Head to www.ancestralkitchen.com slash Boza, B-O-Z-A, to check out the video course. And happy fermentation. Okay, number 10. If you shop at physical stores, find out when they do their discounting and buy close to expiry date food from those stores. This was a tip from Janiya, who's a patron, and she says she gets so much stuff by just knowing when her local store discounts at the end of the week and going in and buying the stuff there. And, you know, not being fussy about whether it's the right thing for this right recipe, like we were talking about earlier, just buying that stuff Mm -hmm and using it and she said that she got a huge batch of onions at one point and then because she's got the skills to um preserve them she preserved like onions for a year for ridiculous you know just a few dollars um and you know that food's going to get thrown away otherwise so if you are able to go and find out that and get to those stores that's a really good really good tip and i'll throw in there especially this feeds right into what she Mm. said um 
don't just think about food because jars, canning jars and lids are something that hardware stores consider a seasonal item. So if you listen to my interview with Angie, you know that Angie and I can year round. We do things like dried beans that we can in the winter, Mm. for instance, when we're not harvesting much. But so for us, canning is a year round Mm. affair, but a lot of stores consider it seasonal and they'll try to ditch the rest of their stock when it's towards the end of the season, usually in September. Okay. So you can ask your stores, like ask the employees, when is your season for this? When are you trying to get rid of it? And then if you are willing, you can find a lot of stores will price match. So what I did when I first built my stock of jars was I saw that um, one of the big hardware stores, one of the big hardware chains in the US, they discount their jars at the end of the season by 50%. So they were half off. And then I printed off that sales page because the store itself was out. And then I went to um, a store that should not be named, but starts with a W and ends with a mark in the US. (laughs) And I went there because they'll price match what another store is offering on the exact same product, like the same brand. And they don't take it out of season. So I brought it in there and they sold me a ton of jars at half off. Wow. Right. So um, ask around and then watch for garage sales and things that have, you just have to look all the time. And I often ask as well, I'll say, do you have any canning jars you're selling? Mm. Because sometimes they won't even pull them out. They say, oh yeah, there is a box in the attic somewhere. Or there's some back in the barn if you're willing to dig it out, you know, but look for your pressure canners and canning supplies and preserving supplies. Um, Colleen picked me up a dehydrator for 20 bucks the other day. And it's like a, you know, $180 dehydrator um, that she found at an estate sale. So if you can find food preserving tools in the off season, Mm. everybody wants a dehydrator in the summer. Everybody wants to buy a fan (laughs) or an air conditioning unit in the summer, right? Nobody's thinking about that in December, but you're thinking about it because nobody else is. So, I think yeah, that's stuff um, when it's off season. That's a it's kind of a parallel line to meal planning. It's kind of having a wide attention mm. at, at all times, yeah, and therefore yeah. being that's thinking true. about you know what am I going to need, what do I need, and how can I bring that to me in a in a cheaper way. I feel like, like number eleven, which is kind of a similar thing. We're talking about online stores here. Um, yeah. So if you're stopping, if you're shopping there. Keep up to date with their specials and sales and buy those things then. Mm -hmm. So if you know, for example, that your store sends out um, a newsletter and they have certain specials on, sign up for that newsletter, watch it and watch when they discount certain things and how their marketing works. And if you see a special of something that you're going to be buying anyway, jump on it, you know. But if you don't keep an eye on those stores and you don't know what's happening, then those things are going to pass you by. Obviously, that takes time, but I think the savings that you can you can get um, from places like Azure are just astounding by just seeing what they're doing and when. Yeah, yeah, because they'll tell you when we're drowning in plums, then get plums. Yeah, you know. Yeah, completely. So get a lot. Okay, number twelve. Um, <laughs> this I, I thought when I uh, when I. Decided on number 12, I thought about my mum's spice cupboard or the spice shelves in her 
cupboard and she's got all like about I know 50 pots of spices that I don't know how long some of them have been in there at the back and you know we we, that that's buying to a recipe rather than what you use more often very very often the case but I think you know there's spices are quite expensive and you know luxury items are quite expensive and if you concentrate on a few of those you can buy those in bulk rather than having Mm -hmm. to buy individual lots of little tiny pots of different spices um, and then use those all separately and pay twice the price. So, you know, if you really like cinnamon, coriander and ginger, then you don't buy all the other things that go around it. Buy those and and buy a large bag of each of them and use them. And, you know, when you finish them in three months' time, you can try another three and buy those in bulk um, because their spices can be really expensive. We, my mom always did that just because we had a big family. She would get like a few core spices and she would, she gets them by the pound from Azure Mm. and she would have other little odd things usually, but it wasn't like we always had it on hand, but we always knew she would have cinnamon for instance, because she'd buy it by the pound. Yeah, exactly. Who can, who can live without cinnamon? I'd say put that on the list. Definitely. Literally how? Don't even know. Okay. Well, what are we up to? Number 13. 13. So number 13, something that we've talked about a fair bit on the podcast. Don't think that you have to buy everything organic, 100% grass fed and grass finished because (laughs) organic labeling is very difficult and very costly to get. And, you know, if you read Diana Rogers, you hear her talking about the difference between grass fed cows and the ones that are grass, 100% grass finished. There are lists available online that most people know about the Dirty Dozen list where you can find the vegetables that are more affected and the fruit that are more affected by um, pesticides and fertilizers. Um, but, you know, talk to your farmer again. You know, they, they may not be organic, but they may not use any fertilizers and pesticides. They just can't afford the... Yeah, the... There, there's a lot yeah, of those now. Exactly. I would say here in the US anyways, more and more farmers are tending to not participate in the huge yearly expense of being able to put that label on their food. I mean, the cost gets trickled down to the consumer and it's just, it's an, it doesn't contribute anything yeah. to the food. It doesn't even make you more accountable because the organic label allows so much so yeah. much to be done that you and i allison would not agree yeah. with doing to a plant or an animal Talk to your farmer so if you're if you're yeah. um trying to decide meat wise you know if you can't get organic choose beef over pork and chicken because you know we've seen the awful kind of things that happen to pork and chicken because they can be kept in in captivity and confinement in the way that you just can't do with beef that the thing here is to make your decisions conscious. You know, we all know how much money we've got. We all know how many mouths we've got to feed. And it's about being staying grounded and not feeling like, because someone says you have to eat like this, like this, like this, everything organic, everything grass finished, then, oh, I've got to eat like that. And if I don't, it's just pointless. No, it's about looking at each decision that you make and and making it consciously. Yeah. And, and I will say, because you can only make so many conscious decisions in a day, some other decisions might need to go off. (laughs) Conscious decision overload. I can't cope. (laughs) Yeah. Which is Alison, when you look at our cookbook, it's why our food's so simple. I think because 
there's so many conscious decisions that have to go yeah, into that completely okay number um 14 meal plan full stop so meal planning i feel like is the complete ultimate way to buy seriously in bulk and systematize your entire kitchen um, and the people who do this very well which it doesn't include me, me yeah <laughs> um <laughs> literally sit down and, and divide their kitchen into maybe six week chunks or two month chunks a month chunk and say right this is what we're going to eat every week for the next four weeks this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday, this on Thursday, and they're all going to feed into each other and there's going to be leftovers. And therefore, to make these meals, I need to buy this, this and this. And they can go and buy in bulk and do that. And then at the end of the four or six weeks, they can do another meal plan, maybe make it something different. So it's a bit, there's a bit of variety. That's not something that I do. Yeah. Or, I mean, because it's, it's not you, my thing. You roughly meal I do. plan though, Alison, right? Because you're like, we eat spelt yeah. loaves every week. Yeah. So you... You kind of meal plan yeah, that, we'll say. I do. And then you I'm, both I'm, bought 50 pounds. I'm ingredient-led, not, not meal-led. Yeah. So I have my ingredients that I buy. I buy them in bulk. And then I create dishes from them. And, and I'm confident that I can create dishes from them. I don't meal plan. For some people, that meal planning is a good thing because they don't feel, you know, that's not their forte to just wing it. And they need that meal planning. And, and sometimes if you are really so tight on a budget or you have, you know, a big family, that's something that you need to bring out in order to really just literally count every single penny. And yeah, um, Re mm. Rebecca, whose um, website is ahumbleplace.com. Mm. Um, she's on Instagram at a humble place mm. i feel like she does a good job about planning and she actually shares videos of what she gets on azure so ah, you can go watch those on her youtube that's interesting and she talks about why she yeah she she's a better planner than i am and she's really good at planning her school stuff too so go grab did you say she did that on youtube for that yeah she's got azure halls i think she calls them okay We'll link that. Yeah, I'm writing a little we'll note on here. Instagram. We'll put that in well. the show yeah. notes so people can listen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I and that mm -hmm. I think is um, Alison that that I I meal plan post acquiring the food. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like we um, just got a big chunk of a cow. Therefore, I'm planning with beef now. Right. Yeah. Like I didn't plan with beef and then go hunt up a cow. Like for me, that's how yeah. it goes. I, I, I land on some chunk of food and then that's what we eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number 15 is glean fields. Many farmers will allow you to glean fields after the harvest is done or between crop rotations. And this will require you building relationship with farmers or even being a full price customer for some time so they can learn to trust you or understand. They see that you're always buying cases of things. They realize what you're doing. Or knowing somebody who knows somebody, you know, oh, my cousin owns a cherry orchard. My grandpa has strawberry fields. Those are some of the specific relationships that I have um, with people. I, I had um, never heard the word gleaning before you said that. So yeah. you have educated me. So, Thank you. So in, um, if anybody's read the book of Ruth in the Bible, um, then you remember Ruth was gleaning wheat ah. after the harvest from um 
oh my goodness, Boaz's fields. Wait, is Boaz or son or was <laughs> now I'm getting it mixed up. Anyways, um that is a biblical mandate that was actually required in Deuteronomy. It says, leave the corners of your fields and whatever you drop, don't pick it back up when you're harvesting so that then the people with less income mm. could come through afterwards and glean what they needed for their families. Wow. So there's a lot of people who, you know, when you pick commercially, it costs you so much per hour, right? To have people picking. Mm. So after you've picked, say, the peak production, the plants may continue to produce, but it isn't enough to make it worth you paying someone to go out to the field. So a lot of that just falls to the ground and is discarded or is burned or whatever when, when plants are pulled out. So some farmers will allow people to go through and glean. And there may be a very small window of time, sometimes a matter of hours or sometimes a few days before they're going to clean out that field and start preparing for their next season. Hmm. So you do have to be ready to jump at the drop mm. of a hat. But if you know somebody, um, also I've had friends who went out and gleaned and we just kind of threw a little bit their way to help pay for the time that they spent picking. You know, mm. maybe one family can go out and glean a ton yeah, of cherries and then everybody else can buy them at real low cost just to, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to go around and second sell all this stuff from a farmer's field, but this could be a way that families could um, collaborate. Yeah. Okay. So nice. consider. There's also gleaners associations where um, sometimes bakeries and supermarkets and things like that will have leftovers of something that's perishable and it will go into a certain area where a gleaners association has families that will come in and mm. just pick it up. So I remember friends growing up who would have you know 30 cases of cottage cheese or cream or something mm. that you just get what you get from the Gleaners Association. So you can look those up in your area. Okay. And that's usually more related to supermarket as a way to deal with the overflow. Yeah. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, associated to that, I'd say number 16 is be ready for opportunity. So this means having some cash set aside and also time could be the thing that you need. Mm. But this takes diligence and determination when you're on a budget, which I know you can do it. For when somebody suddenly drops an amazing bargain on meat or grains or produce in your lap. So having some freezer space or jars and lids on hand or the time to jump in your car when someone says, guess what? We get to go glean cherries today for free. This is invaluable. And it is one of the ways that we kept our pantry stocked for a long time. Mm. And we still do. Mm. So find a strategy that you can use to chip away at building your savings and don't scoff at the small beginnings. Mm -hmm. um, what I did for a long time when I first got married was when I went to the supermarket or literally anywhere I was spending money, I would get an extra five or $10 back in cash. And this didn't make a huge impact on the budget in the moment, mm -hmm. but it built up an envelope of cash. So then when somebody said, hey, do you want to buy this thing for $400 right now? It's like 75% off beef or something. I was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And remember with farmers that cash talks, they like cash. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Cash is good. Nice. <laughs> Number 17, also related to the opportunity, is buying animals whole or in halves or quarters. Um, the price difference on that is pretty significant. Mm -hmm. So Allison, this is something that'd be hard for you to do, for instance, because your yeah. freezer space is literally yeah. limited. You could alternatively, if you had limited freezer space, and this is what I did for a while, just can it uh, yeah, if you don't have yeah. a freezer. 
Um, if you have, but you'd have to have your pressure canner and your jars on hand for that. But the difference in price when you're buying whole animals, just so people know, if this is something that could conceivably come your way, it's even worth buying a freezer for. And I'll give an example. Right now in our area, ground meat, grass-fed ground meat, oh, grass-finished, I should say, um, is going for around 10 to $12 a pound. Mm -hmm. And um, if you Usually if you buy like, say, 40 pounds, you can get as low as $7 a pound. Mm. And then when you look at different cuts of meat, like steaks mm. and things that can be really yeah. high, like $18 a pound, you know what I'm talking about. And then, of course, you can also buy tallow and soup bones and things like mm. that. But if you can scrape together the money to buy an animal um, where you can get right now a quarter of beef, mm -hmm. I know, because I just bought mm -hmm. them, <laughs> is going for $3.75 a pound. Gosh. Plus you pay cut and wrap, which is usually like 90 cents a pound. Mm -hmm. And that's for all the pieces. So your ground beef costs that per pound, wow. your steaks cost that per pound, whatever you ask him to cut costs that per pound. And then you usually can ask for the bones and fat and they'll throw it in for free. That's incredible. But you'll just chuck it all into a big bag. So when you think about that, you'd be getting, you know, versus $12 a pound, you're getting it for basically $5 a pound mm. or less. And then you're also getting your bones and fat for free. It really makes sense when you hear people say, get a freezer and put a half an animal in it. Yeah. You have to have that upfront money because that's a big mm. chunk of change that has to go out the door all at once. But if you can pull it off, it's definitely a good I think on the only way I could do it was if I went in with someone and we bought a small, like a quarter of an animal. Yeah, which a lot which of people you, do. Which again is about well, a lot talking of people to people, isn't it? You know, and building that network. Yeah. Mm. The farmer will price it usually a quarter and then a half and then a whole. Typically is slightly cheaper mm. the larger chunk you get. Not always, but sometimes. And that's because he, you're saving him marketing time. You know, he doesn't have to go around and find other people to peddle the pieces yeah. to. Um, some um, butchers charge differently based on how much they're doing. And then also um, what your state and your regulations allow. In a lot of times, farmers aren't even allowed to sell a la carte pieces. So they might have to sell them in big chunks. So. Um, that all factors in, and there's a lot of people who will do, like you said, a few steps up. What was it? Um, number seven, start a buying group. Yep. There'll be like five families that will go in now, five families, each family could easily eat a lot more than that in a year, I'm sure, but they're able to buy it at that price because they all did it together. Yeah. So together, together. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're at the end of the sourcing food section, and the next um, six points that we've got are all about ingredients, more specific. So I'm going to carry on with number eighteen, which is use pulses to stretch your meat further. So you can use pulses in lasagnas, in meatballs, in meatloaves, in just ground beef dishes, in anything that you're making with meat. Remember to soak and ferment them. 
And if you soak and ferment them and suddenly you can't make anything with them, well, you can freeze them after they've been soaked. That's fine. And then just add them yeah. into your dishes and the meat that you've got will will feed more people, will go further. Um, number 19, which is one we both love, buy the stuff others don't <laughs> want. That's the way to save a lot of money. So I'm talking pig yep. trotters. I'm talking heads. Hearts, lungs, spleen, liver, bones, the things that, you know, with that farmer in Cornwall that I was talking about earlier, no one wanted trotters, you know, no one wanted his bones, no one wanted his back fat from his from his cows, you know, there's so much fat on a cow. Unbelievable. And you buy the stuff yeah. that others don't want, well, there's no market for it, so it, it can't be charged in the same way. And, you know, you can literally live off the stuff others don't want. And you'd, you'd be you could, really nutrient full. <laughs> yeah, you could pay for all those things. And I, I will say that I've had friends who butchered and um, every single thing on this list, Allison, trotters, heads, heart, lungs, mm. liver, bones, spleen, fat. I have gotten free. Mm. Like all of these things, I've basically been getting free. I will also pay for it. I always offer, I'm like, I can pay. And they're like, no, just take it so I don't have to compost it. Or take it to get it out of the freezer. Like you said, that person was at the dents and dings or whatever. Um, so just pay to get it out of the freezer. A lot of farmers that butcher will say, I've got, you know, hundreds of pounds of fat that I just need to get rid of. And they're happy for you to take yeah. it. But it is also okay to pay for it. Yeah, These things have value. They took input. They take time to process. I'll tell you, it takes us a lot longer to process all the organs, feet, heads, mm -hmm. and things off of our birds than if we just gutted them and threw everything into one pile. So it does take time to clean all those yeah. things. Um, so it's totally worth paying for. So I think but I think I do half and half. So whereas in England we had more stuff for free here, I pay Flavio for liver and heart. I think partially because the Italians aren't so squeamish about offal as the English are. But he he yeah. charges me basically nothing for bones and a very cheap price for fat. So it's kind of half and half. Yeah, that's here. great. Number twenty. Yeah, and I think that's very fair. Yeah, exactly. I I mean I like you said, there's a lot of work that's gone into creating that um, product for sale. So yeah. it, it feels like a fair mm -hmm. exchange to me. Mm -hmm. We kind of lead into number twenty with that, which is eat offal. Offal is the most yeah. nutrient-dense part of the animal for the smallest price. So you literally no could eat half the amount of offal compared to something else mm -hmm. and get the same nutrients. Or you could eat double and you're paying less, yeah. you know. It, you get super yeah. nutrients and you're paying less for it. Offal cannot be um, overstated in a budget ancestral kitchen, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And if if you just need ways to make it tolerable to you, if you're like, I can't, mm. again, just start with the heart or heads because that's the oh gosh, the meat on a head is so good and tender. Um, and the heart is just a muscle. It's I don't even know why we call it an organ. It's just mm. a muscle. <laughs> um, so start with those things and then use our cookbook or yeah. um, I'll put Janelle's Instagram on here, okay. Allison. Because she has lots of really good ideas for eating off. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Um, beans and rice is number 21. Um, I think we often forget about beans and rice. 
And obviously for um, ancestral um, preparation, you're going to be soaking and then fermenting those beans of rice, which will break down anti-nutrients in them and make everything more bioavailable. Um, sometimes I, I forget about my beans and I leave them soaking for a long time. Um, if you change the water, they're more likely to last longer soaking. Remember to put an acidic medium in there. And if you can, keep the temperature up. And then take those beans and rice and cook them in stock. Stock we will get onto more later in the um, 50 ways. But um, if you cook them in okay. stock, you're going to be getting more protein from that stock. All those lovely amino acids and fat. And they will taste amazing because you fermented them they will fill you up more than unfermented as well. So don't forget beans and rice. Um, number 22, we're back okay. to heart. So like Andrea said, heart's a muscle. Heart has 20 to 30 grams of protein per 100 grams, which is like four ounces, um, depending on which um, source you go to. Some say 20, some say 30. And heart is a muscle. So if you're worried about offal, like we said, start with heart um, and it's usually more reasonably priced, even though it is a muscle than other muscle cuts. Um, and it's easy to cook. You can cook up a whole um, beef heart and it will last you for a long time. Do leftovers so you're only actually cooking it once rather than cooking, you know, six or seven separate meals. And then you can focus on something else. My recipe for... And if you yeah, know... Oops, I was just going to say, my going. recipe for slow cooked beef heart is in meals at the ancestral hearth which there is a link for in the show notes so if you're intimidated by heart go look at that recipe okay do you want to say anything about heart andrea or have i said enough well i just want to say that as for your recipe i have been getting so many messages from people who are using the cookbook telling me how completely blown away they are by how good the recipe is mm -hmm. And how simple it was. And Anita, who we interviewed on the yeah. podcast in the yeah. spring, she um, messaged me and she said she it basically she said she couldn't believe how good it was, and that um, she and her husband are going to try and get their hands on more heart now because they loved it so much. Wonderful. So she said it might be their new favorite way to have beef. Yay! Okay, number yeah. twenty three. <laughs> get good with a whole chicken. Um, I have seen so many people cook chicken and then literally leave meat on it that would feed the three of us here for two meals. <laughs> when I have cooked yeah. a chicken, I let it cool down and then I go at it like a scavenger. I mean, literally turn it over. Yeah. There are bits that you can slide yeah. off with your thumb, open it up, look inside, just get every yeah. bit of meat off it you can and you will automatically be giving yourself kind of more protein rather than putting that chicken in the bin, which is not quite what a lot of people do. Yeah, you can even um, do what my friend Beryl does. She cracks open the bones and sucks uh, up the marrow yeah. and she really, she works her chicken <laughs> till there's nothing left. And I think we talked about on the whole chicken episode, which we should link in here, yeah. Alison, that Joel said that his quality pastured chicken prices per pound were the same as the Walmart um, boneless, skinless Gosh. breast meat. Yeah, I remember. So I actually went to oh, the yeah. store the other yeah. day 
um, Gary took me to the store and I just basically was running around the store with my phone taking pictures of things. And Look at this. I was oh like, my Look gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole chicken at the grocery store, which knowing what I know about the way it was produced, I wouldn't buy that chicken, to be honest, was really cheap. Mm. But then the prepared pieces, they did actually cost more than our pastured chicken um, per pound. I was really surprised. So you can get some pretty high quality, soy free, pastured, you know, daily fresh grass chicken per pound for the same as you would um, that kind of gross processed mm. packaged styrofoam mm. meat, right? And like you said, Allison, by the time we've finished with a chicken carcass and then we've cooked those bones and broth and everything, and then I've crushed them in yeah. broth and cooked them again, there's not much yeah. left. <laughs> so exactly. we really get our money it out of it. just disappears. There's literally nothing left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we awesome. have gone over the hour quite substantially and we still have 27 ways it's to so save money goodness. in an ancestral kitchen to go. So I think what we're going to do is um, make this a double episode. <laughs> and I love it. I love come it. back at you next time um, with the next episode with numbers 24 through to 50. So we've got a section on stock. Perfect. We've got a section on kitchen routine and cooking. That's a really big section. And then we've got a section on home tasks. And then we've got a large section of things that are great tips that didn't fit in with the others. And of course, yeah. <laughs> we, we're, we're going to share as well our, our favourite ways of saving money, you know, the things that we really feel most passionate about. So I think what we should... So on the yeah. next... Are, are, so on the next episode, should we eat, Should we say at the very end, Alison, if you could do one yeah. thing, what is yeah. it? Exactly. Okay. We'll do that on yeah, the so next think episode. About, think okay. about your answer to that because that's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. <laughs> I think I know what I'm going to say okay. already. <laughs> okay, so um, I would just say maybe arrivederci because I will see you again to continue with the list on the next episode, Andrea. Thank you. Perfect. Thank All right, you. Alison. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.